told me, get no flexing on me, my attorney gon' call and collect. Blessings on blessings for me, my success has only made them envious. They got How is everyone doing? I expect you to respond to me. <laughs> I can hear you, you know. I uh, hope everyone's doing well. This is Simon for the Closed Network Privacy Podcast, episode number 19. Recorded today, Tuesday, October 11th, 2022. How are you doing? I know I asked you that, but I really do want to know. And you can let me know. You can jump in the Matrix chat. Let us know. We just opened up an off-topic channel as well for just kind of more shenanigans stuff, everyday stuff, check-ins, how's every, how, how everyone's doing. I say we because, yes, I have help. <laughs> thank God I've got help. So I first want to say thank you to the Matrix mods. You know who you are, Unintelligent7, Mattest Max. Uh, thank you very much for helping me out. And we, we decided to open up a second channel, which is not encrypted, which is nice because if you join that chat, you can scroll back and read the conversations prior, catch the vibe, maybe jump in the conversation somewhere. The main Matrix channel, the Closed Network Podcast channel is encrypted, so you're welcome to join in anytime. And from the point you join, moving forward, you'll be able to read and interact you know, interact with people, read messages, but you can't read anything prior to you joining the server. That's by design, and we kind of wanted to have another freeform area. And people might think, like, well, isn't it better if it's encrypted? Yes, but the the rooms are also public, so anyone can join. So we're trying to embrace the encryption feature that Matrix provides where everyone's conversations are into and encrypted within, the, within that room. But we also wanted a second room, which was not nearly as maybe specific and could kind of veer off in different directions and could talk about things that aren't necessarily just privacy-related. Excuse me. So I uh, appreciate the help. We're growing. It's it's been a lot of fun interacting today on this podcast. Can be talking a little bit about owning your data, uh, note taking, photo management, and if we can get to it, I'm gonna just begin the conversation on maybe a series for fitness tracking challenges for the for the privacy minded individual. This is an area that I struggle with, and I'm gonna be trying out some open source apps, and we're now, this has actually been a topic of conversation in the, in the chat. So if we can get to that topic, I will. Uh, also, I just want to apologize. I wanted to get this episode out sooner, and I take the blame because I should have had a backup podcast prepared when I had a scheduling conflict with someone that I was going to have on the show. I just kind of failed on that, so my bad. I'm going <laughs> to try to stick to a schedule. We're trying to, we're trying to be professional here, you know, but... Sometimes I just screw it up. So uh, I should have had a, a show prepared already ahead of time. And I just got excited because I was thinking like, oh, no, we're going to I'm going to have a guest on. It's going to be great. Going to have conversation. And I love the dynamics of having another person on the show and that will be coming back uh, into play soon here. Um, also hoping to have some other personalities on that you might be familiar with. I uh, don't want to give away that away anytime just in case for some reason that doesn't fall through. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it, and I always have a good time when I have somebody else on, and we can kind of banter a little bit and talk about tactics or, or privacy apps and 
techniques and things to help protect and preserve our personal information, our data. So I also want to give a a shout out and thank you to the people who donate through the podcast 2.0 apps. I greatly appreciate that. Uh, You can download an app if you're curious from newpodcastapps.com. These are basically podcast apps that allow you to have a little Bitcoin wallet associated with it. You can purchase Bitcoin from Swan or Strike, transfer it right to that wallet, and listen to your favorite content creators, and you can stream denominations of Bitcoin, Satoshis, or Sats to your favorite creator. And I appreciate the people who have been doing that for my uh, show. And if anyone would like to donate uh, regular fiat money, uh, that's always uh, welcome. So all the resources are, are at closednetwork.io. And I also have a Patreon page set up, so you can also join and support that way. Uh, if you're not able to contribute financially, understand, and you can contribute in other ways. Reach out and ask. I uh, will take all the help I can get, whether it's uh, creating graphics or uh, topic research or anything like that. And or just join the chat room and hang out. Uh, you can get in contact with me through close net, at, at the website, closednetwork.io. Uh, just hit the contact page, send me a message. You can shoot me an email, simon at closednetwork.io. Hit me up on Twitter, a lot of different ways. Or just pop in the, in the Matrix chat. Uh, you can download the app called Element. It's on every platform. Go to, and once you set up an account and you're in, uh, just go to closednetwork.io and hit join the Matrix server. That'll take you straight in. So yeah, so there's been some interesting developments in the last week, just actually in the last few days, um, around a lot of malicious apps that have been identified. And this article is on the Meta blog, Meta as in Facebook, Instagram. And I kind of wanted to really emphasize the importance of this because not everyone's going to be impacted, uh, but they've, they estimate around a million users have had uh, these apps or potentially had their Facebook logins compromised because of crappy apps that weren't caught in the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, which is mind-boggling uh, how this happens because there's typically some sort of approval process to have apps reviewed and once they're submitted to have them reviewed and approved. And the most popular apps that people have downloaded that have had this malicious uh, intent are like photo editor apps, business apps, lifestyle, and games, VPNs. Photo editors was almost half of it. So those might be things like face swap apps where you take a selfie with a friend and it changes your, puts the face on each other and ha ha ha. And then you save it and, you know, post it, whatever. So the way that they've been compromised is because, in order to unlock some of those premium features within the app, you have to create an account. And what they've done is they've kind of made misled people to think that they're using their Facebook login, but you actually have to log in <laughs> to your Facebook, meaning put in your lock, your credentials, and they've been capturing that data, selling it, giving you know, doing whatever with it, hacking people's accounts, changing passwords, locking them out. And it's been kind of a total crapshoot. So some of these apps too, that I was reading the list and I'll have a link to the article in the show notes. A lot of these apps, especially the iOS apps look like official apps by Facebook. 
There's like FB Pages Manager, Meta Adverts Manager, Business Manager Pages, FB Ads, FB Business Support, Verify Business Manager, FB Analytics. They appear that they're like on the on the App Store for for the uh, for Apple App Store that they really focused on like the business apps to dupe uh, people into putting in their Facebook credentials because you would you know if you manage Facebook properties you might expect to have to log into your Facebook account. And on the Google side, it seems like they went straight for the jugular with all like games, music players, VPNs, photo editors, things, things of that nature. So they're kind of really hit every demographic possible. Now, some people might say, well, it's what you get for using Facebook. (laughs) All right. Um, and I understand that sentiment, but at the same time, I understand too that there's a lot of people who rely on Facebook services to conduct business or to, to for their outreach for nonprofits. Maybe it's a Facebook group. Maybe it's a Facebook page. Maybe it's an e-commerce platform that heavily relies on Facebook integration with Shopify or WordPress to push uh, their products out to Instagram or even Facebook to have those stores integrated where you can, people can purchase products and discover your products and things like that. So though I, I kind of loathe Facebook, I understand also for a lot of people, it's a necessary evil. If you uh, do any conduct any kind of business online, you oftentimes you want to make sure that you have properties set up where the masses already are. And that would be Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and all these different social platforms. So how, you know, how do we, how do we keep this from happening? How do you keep, limit yourself from being a victim of some kind of grandiose scheme to get people's Facebook logins. I mean, over 400 apps, it's, 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 it's pretty easy to assume that any one of us could have fell for something like that. If you were looking for an app to fulfill a specific task for you. So just beware and make sure to reshare this knowledge, uh, with, friends and family who may not be as vigilant about the apps that they install on their phones because they might be victim, uh, hopefully not. And if they are, you want to make sure to get those passwords changed as quickly as possible. And this does affect Instagram as well because they're kind of all blended into the same uh, platform. So yeah, it's frustrating. Um, and And it also leads back to you know, also to people, you you know, you're talking about potentially WhatsApp logins because, you know, people use Facebook and, and WhatsApp logins together. Uh, they might be using the same credentials. People rely on these platforms to communicate with friends and family. So it might be through Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp. So this, this has potential to, like, really ruin people because Facebook has also been slow. And in some, in some cases totally unresponsive to help people get back, get their accounts back. And that's kind of what this, this owning your data mentality. Um, I know owning your data and using Facebook don't go hand in hand, but what I really want to impress upon people is the importance of owning as much of the infrastructure that you rely on for communication or your data as possible. So, it doesn't necessarily always, <clears throat> excuse me, it doesn't always mean self-hosting. It might be that you're going to pay for a privacy, a, a service that's privacy respecting. 
And I will get into a few examples of that here in a, in a second, but it's more about also a mindset and asking yourself, do I really need this? And if I do really need this, is there a better alternative to fulfill this particular kind of solution uh, to enhance my life or make my life more convenient? Oftentimes with more convenience, there's a trade-off. And I think we've all been conditioned to just accept that the trade-offs are, are like unavoidable. And so we just kind of like next, 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 finish. Sure, I agree to the EULA. Just give me the thing. Give me the software. I just want to use it. And that's kind of a, a similar feeling that a lot of people have until something bad happens, like their identity is stolen or they have ransomware at work or on their personal computer and they have to pay to unlock their stuff. I mean, there's bad things that happen to good people and we kind of just float through life thinking like, eh, it's not really going to happen to me. And then it does. So the more we become reliant on our data and information being accessible through a mobile device or a tablet or a phone or a, a computer of some kind, the easier it gets for hackers to, you know, exploit information that they get through malicious apps or data breaches or hacks and things like that. And so you just really kind of step back and take an inventory of your digital life. Maybe go through those apps on your phone that you haven't used in months. Do I even need this app? No. Can I delete the account and delete the app? Don't just delete the app, delete the account too. If you, you know, if you're never going to use it again, um, especially if, if you used a social media account like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram to like create that account, you really want to break all of those associations if possible. The fewer links you can have back from all these data collection companies back to your, your primary accounts, the better. So <clears throat> granted, you can't exactly own that data, but you can manage it. And then also think about how you use those platforms and is there a different thing? Is there something different I can do? Maybe the answer is no, but maybe you get more vigilant about it. Uh, maybe you have a, if, it, if you use it for work, maybe you have a work profile. Uh, like if you're using an Android device like Graphene OS or something where you have a, a, a dedicated profile to just business apps and those apps are just isolated in that one container. Or maybe you go, like for me, you just say, I'm going to have a totally different phone. I am a bit more extreme. I'm not as extreme as, as the Michael Bazell's out there, right? Or Michael Basil. I don't, I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce his name. I'm sure it's not even his real name. But he, he's, he's kind of on the extreme end of privacy. I'm kind of like halfway there and kind of in the middle somewhere. But I do adopt the compartmentalization philosophy with having multiple devices. Sometimes it's just easier and it's easier for me to manage it that way. Um, for what I do for a living, I do use Mac OS. I use uh, Apple iPhone. I have Apple products. And yeah, I could kind of maybe reduce some of that down. But uh, I, you know, with collaborating with other people, uh, certain ecosystems just work better. Now, for my personal life, my own personal stuff, all my personal things, I have a Linux machine for that. I've got a Pixel with Graphene OS for that. And then for other things, 
<laughs> you know, whether it's Twitter accounts or other things, I have completely other separate phones. Uh, and part of that is also because I'm experimenting with this stuff all the time so I can share that information. It's not like I'm just some kind of freak, uh, but I do enjoy the compartmentalization of it all. So I have another Pixel 5 with uh, a silent link phone number. I've mentioned on my previous episode, I think it was episode 18, 18 or 17, I've got another Pixel, which is just an experiment phone where it's just running pure graphene OS, and I'm running the Invisiv PGPP on there, which uh, obfuscates and separates you know, the, the, the linkage between the data requests and the device itself. Um, again, I'm experimenting, I'm a tinkerer, but... All I have to say is maybe consider having, hey, this is my work phone and this is my personal phone because somewhere in the last like three or four years, especially with the pandemic, it's it's kind of almost seems to be expected that people are always available to work or be accessible. And a lot of times you just use one phone for everything. That can be okay, but you know maybe maybe that's something to consider. Is I want to break things out a little bit, own, so that way even if you can't own all your data, you can at least separate it away from your you know kind of like the different tasks you perform in your life. Anyways, um, so yeah, that was that was kind of mind blowing to me uh, researching this and seeing how many different apps basically duped people into giving them their Facebook accounts, uh, and then Facebook being slow to respond to legitimate requests by people who have been locked out of their accounts. And again, that might have deeper impact to them than just, oh, I can't get on and like my friend's posts. It might have locked them out of potentially uh, some e-commerce management or Facebook ads that they might be running, managing groups, being an admin in pages, things of that nature. Uh, so, it, you know, it could really have significant impact to, to a lot of people. And it's not something to be taken lightly. Um. Speaking of owning your data, I want to talk uh, about note-taking. I don't know if I'll get to all these topics on this particular episode. So um, I'm going to move into note-taking because it's something that I use constantly. Even as I'm sitting here at my desk and I have a couple different notes apps, notes apps open. That sounds like a weird thing to say. Notes apps. (laughs) Notes apps? Anyway. um, I also am a huge, like, I write notes by hand. I take notes digitally. I have notes everywhere. And I am not very organized when it comes to this stuff. So I may not be the best person <laughs> to talk about note-taking because I wish I was more organized and had like some sort of like knowledge reference process or something that I you know was super organized with that I could always track and find stuff. And oftentimes, it's just not me. Uh, I'm either looking in standard notes or I'm looking in Apple notes or I'm looking in Nextcloud notes or I'm going through notebooks in my book bag or on my desk. It's nuts. It's bananas. I'm going to try to get better at it. I have had the opportunity to try some different notes apps and I want to talk about um, a couple of them and I'd like to get feedback and I'd like this to maybe be an ongoing topic because I'm not going to be able to cover it all uh, just in this episode and there's other apps that I've used before and I don't really think I gave it a good a good go. Uh, for instance, Joplin, J-O-P-L-I-N. Joplin is an open source uh, application, and it has end-to-end encryption. So, uh, you know, 100% of your data is basically, you know, uh, secure. And 
no one but you can access it, not even them, which is which is huge. Uh, especially if you, you know, if you think about the things that you jot down, oftentimes it could be doctor's appointments. It could be, uh, you know, anything with you and your significant other where you're, you know, writing appointments down or dates or, or, uh, lists and things like that. And some of it's, you know, doesn't really matter to people like camping lists and things like that, but a picnic list or some, if you're taking a trip or going camping or whatever, grocery store items, but these are things that <laughs> this kind of data is stuff that marketers would love to get their hands on. Uh, if you could ask a marketer how much they would pay, uh, you know, or what, what would be the price to get everyone's grocery lists? I mean, it'd be crazy because they could correlate that data to where they live. They could sell that information to the grocery stores. Grocery stores don't all carry the same thing. They carry different products based upon the demographics and the geography, uh, the the average income, uh, because they're not going to carry uh, a lot of high-end name brand products if it's a lower income area. They're going to carry more of the generic brand. They're going to try to do more of the deals and things like that. So this information is really valuable, but it also should be valuable to you. What should be thought of as ephemeral data to other people is is just highly, highly valuable, coveted data. So anywhere where you can separate your personal information, even as mundane as something is like or insignificant as what you would think like a grocery list, uh, think of that as your social security number. Treat all your data like it's your social security number or your medical records. And if you start thinking that way, you'll start thinking of how people can exploit areas of your life uh, to benefit them, not you. And most of it's done for marketing purposes, right? I mean, sure, I'm, I'm sure the government's interested in your grocery list as well, but they'd probably be interested in other things. Um, and so the, the, whole, the whole concept here is also to compartmentalize out. So if you do use Apple iPhone, uh, stop using the Notes app. It's garbage anyway. It kind of sucks. Use Joplin. Use something like Standard Notes. If you have a NextCloud server, consider using NextCloud Notes. Um, these are platforms where they can be synchronized across multiple devices, and you have, you know, no one's going to have access to read that information with the, without the private keys, which are stored in your app, which can only be unlocked by the password that only you know. That's how that works. So your data is basically being encrypted and stored. Uh, and you are unlocking access to it with your with your login. And I, I've been using Standard Notes for a very long time. I love it. And I'm going to come back and try Joplin again because it looks cool. Uh, the markup for it just looks like something that I would really enjoy using. Uh, when I say markup, uh, that's the kind of formats that you can use you can use uh, to create lists or tables, headers, images, uh, diagrams, math, you know, expressions, you know, all sorts of different things. So, uh, you know, it handles multimedia notes like images, videos, PDFs, audio files. Uh, I, I'm going to come back and check this out because I think this actually might be a little more sophisticated than even standard notes, which I love. And I, you know, I'm not going to, ditch it i might actually look at doing uh a compartmentalization of and again this might be a little over the top but i might might use standard notes for just like personal stuff 
podcast notes, things like that. And then maybe use Joplin for like work things because it might be, it, it looks like it might be more flexible with like creative process flows. And again, you know, we're always experimenting, we're trying things out, but I like to support apps and services that are building their applications from the ground up with security and, and privacy in mind. That's like a primary focus for them. And I, I really, I love that. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, maybe, Jill, let me know, let me know what apps you're using. Um, this is, this has been a little bit of a topic of conversation in the, in the matrix chat room as well. And I thought, you know, this is something that's overlooked because I don't know how, how much you use note taking apps, but I'm constantly in them constantly, you know, putting information down. Sometimes I use it. Like if I'm standing up a new server and I have a root account, a user account, a MySQL database account, a WordPress account or something, I'm just kind of putting it all in one flow. And then I'll uh, put those into a password manager after I've created it. It's just sometimes easier to do it that way uh, and it's faster. So I also use them for note-taking for like my podcast notes. Um, What else? Stuff, I have things like I need to get and tasks uh, follow-ups, meetings, you can set reminders and things like that too in some of these apps. So um, just you know, treat, treat your notes as your social security number or your medical records, and you will find yourself starting to become much more protective of what might seem like insignificant to you but could be valuable to somebody else. And there's another one I'm also trying out, LogSec, which appears to only work right now for Mac OS and iOS, but it, they do have a roadmap to um, uh, release an Android app as well. It looks like they're kind of early stages of, of all of that. So um, once once that comes out for Android, I'll be ch- I'll be checking it out. I really don't have an interest in using anything that's Apple all you know only because I already have enough of that crap that I'm sucked into. And again, for my personal stuff, I'm using Graphene OS, which is a de-googled. Uh, uh, OS specifically for Google Pixel devices, um, and I'm not going to compromise on that. So, in any case, yeah, let me know what your favorite note-taking app is. Um, I, I, you know, I, it's one of those things that I don't really think too much about. I just kind of use it, but there's a lot of options out there. Uh, so, it's just something that kind of piqued my interest. One Achilles heel that I have had or my Achilles heel with Apple has been photo management. And what I mean by that is I have been using an iPhone since the iPhone four. So before that I was team Android. I had like a, a G one Android phone, which I still have uh, the battery doesn't work, but I still have my original uh, Google G one Android phone, which had the slip up screen with the tactile keyboard underneath it had the little scroll ball wheel and the menu button right above it. Sweet phone. I mean, it's way ahead of its time. I loved that thing. And then I had a bout with a couple other devices like um, the HTC Evo, which was a total piece of crap. Uh, and I think one other phone, I think I was probably still rocking BlackBerry. I, I had a couple of Blackberries as well around that time. And I was really trying to avoid an iPhone because it just seemed like all the, you know, it was what was trendy. And I just, I don't know. I just I was annoyed by it. I thought it was cool, cool tech when the iPhone, when the first iPhone came out. But I just I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't into it. 
And, you know, and then eventually I came around and I uh, had an iPhone 4. So now I had a 4, a 5, I think a 7, and then a 10, and an 11, and a 12. So quite a few phones. The only reason why I'm talking about that is because, uh, well, I used, you know, the phone to take photos. So I have, I don't know, years, years. I don't know when that was when I got uh, my iPhone 4. I th- I'm guessing that was probably somewhere around 2010. I'm guessing. I, I, my memory is a little fuzzy. I could be wrong, give or take a year, but that's around when I got it. So let's just say it was 2010. That was 12 years ago. You've been taking photos for 12 years. You've been backing it up to you know different variations and versions of of you know the uh, Apple Photos app, and now it's you know eventually migrated to iCloud. What do you do? I have over 32,000 32, photos and videos in that 12-year time. Now, if any one of you knows me in real life, you know that probably 60% of those are memes that just need to be deleted and, and gone forever, and you'd be right. My point is, is that it's fantastically complicated or has been frustrating for me to export those photos out in any meaningful way and import them somewhere else. So what I initially did was I used a an app on my iPhone. I think it's called PhotoSync. I'm going to actually look at it real quick as my phone's on the desk here. Uh, yes, it is called PhotoSync. And the reason why I went with this app was because it allowed me to create a persistent uh, connection to my NextCloud server. So it has the ability uh, to create, I mean, it, it's compatible with all sorts of stuff. Uh, Google Drive, S3, Google Photos, Flickr, you know, all sorts of all sorts of destinations. But why I was excited about it was because it has WebDAV, which is the protocol uh, to connect to my Nextcloud server. WebDAV, CalDAV uh, for calendars and contacts and stuff like that. So I basically downloaded that app, but I configured it to connect to my next cloud server and it has been synchronizing all of my photos uh, for quite a long time from there. And it's cool, but I will, I will also admit that next cloud is not in my opinion, the best for managing photos. It's great for backing them up. So I have the memories preserved, excuse me, but it kind of sucks for searching for photos filtering by year or it doesn't have any AI built into it for like facial recognition, things like that. So that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it because it has been an uber pain, uber pain. And I have to say that on on the last, I think it was the last episode of the previous one, I mentioned NT, E-N-T-E, which I think their website is NT.io. Let me actually pull it up here. Uh, NT Photos nt.io which is basically a service that you pay for that will synchronize your photos uh, to the cloud but they're encrypted on your device before they're uploaded and you basically have to store keep a copy of your key which is uh, a mnemonic phrase Uh, i think you can also download a key file Uh, i just you know use the mnemonic phrase Kind of like if you have a cryptocurrency wallet, it lasts for the 12 or 24 words. And that's basically a mnemonic phrase to unlock 
the vault, if you will. And I dig that. I'm okay with using cloud services if I'm able to encrypt my data before I upload it because it's junk to them. But I'm going to say that their service freaking rocks. It is so good. And it's cool because I have NT.io installed on both my iPhone and my Google Pixel phone. And both phones, if I take a photo on one, it's synced to the other. Like, it's magic. And not only when I say it's magic, it's because it categorizes the photos, in my opinion, better than the native photos app on, on iOS. So if I open up NT, one of the first things it does at the very top is it starts synchronizing, starts uploading content if there's any new stuff. So it's encrypting the backup, and then it starts uploading. And then it has little circles, almost like if you've seen Instagram stories or something. But the cool thing is it says one year ago, two years ago, three years, four, five, six, seven, eight. Mine go up to nine years back. So yeah, it's been quite a long time. You know, These photos are kind of old. But I can click on it, and it shows me photos that I took on that day nine years ago or eight years ago, seven years ago, whatever. Or I can just scroll through and I can see really quickly by by month and date all the photos that I took on that day. I can also just go to uh, any folders that I've created. I can share them. Uh, I can ask for someone to share with me or I can share an album with them. So I'm mean, you know, they have to have, you know, an NT.io uh, as well. But if you're looking at something where you say like, you know, I don't really like the idea of taking photos, all my photos being scanned and indexed by Google or by Apple to use for whatever purposes they want at any point in the future. I want to, I want to be more in control. Uh, this is a great way to do that. Uh, I have some other ideas or other, other things to recommend as well, but they're self-hosted. This is the one that I've tried. This is, I think this could really help a lot of people who have been like stuck in this one area that want to leave Apple, but they, all their memories are there and it's really hard to move them out. And as long as they're in iCloud, you're kind of on the hook for paying for that iCloud service. So if you're going to pay for it anyway, pay it, pay the money to it, to a company that actually, um, creates their apps or open source and it encrypts your data and they have zero knowledge of what you're uploading to them. Now you're paying them because you're paying for bandwidth and, and disk space, right? You don't have to manage the server yourself. Let them manage it. The interface is clean. They've got um, a desktop app. Uh, they have a web app. The apps are available on Google Play, F-Droid, uh, as well as uh, the Apple App Store, of course. And they have, so they have a desktop app, which is sick. Uh, and the desktop apps they have are for, uh, they, have an iP- they have an iPad a version as well, but they also have a Mac OS and a Linux and Windows install. So I don't know. Like for me, anytime I can have a little bit of freaking convenience, but still not compromise too much. And I say too much because, you know, there is still some potential that something bad could happen, but it seems like a much better option to use a zero knowledge service provider and they provide fantastic apps, which allow me to see all my photos uh, in a way that's actually like pleasant and not a complete pain in the butt. Like, like it is on my next cloud server. Um, 
Nextcloud's great for backing up all your stuff and preserving those memories, but it's not always great for exploring them, sharing those photos, looking at, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, another one that I, I really like uh, is PhotoPrism, which is a self-hosted solution. This also can be ran on a Raspberry Pi, if you can ever find a Raspberry Pi. Uh, but if you have any other ways of or old computers or laptops that you're going to repurpose, you can run, and I've... I've got a whole series I'm working on. It's it's kind of <laughs> it's a whole other project about self-hosting uh, using things like Open Media Vault or Unraid and stuff like that. But a Photo Prism might also be something if you are more tech savvy uh, because it, it does a really good job at reading all the metadata and organizing all that metadata. When I say metadata, I'm talking about uh, all of the metadata about the photos themselves. So like the date and time they were taken. Uh, the file size, you know, the aperture, you know, of the of the lens, you know, all all that all that fun stuff, um, and it you know has a web browser interface, so you can run this on you know like a, a, a server in a closet somewhere and access it through through your web through the web. Um, pretty pretty freaking cool actually. But I'll be completely honest with you, I haven't not been impressed with a lot of the other kind of like open source apps like there's f spot photo manager uh, which you know it, it's okay it's just visually they're just kind of dated they lack a lot of functionality for me um i've kind of been spoiled right by having this experience with apple for so many years so in the last few you know couple years when i've migrated over to a degoogled uh you know pixel phones i've kind of always felt like dang ah, there's this cool photo that i'd love to pull up uh, but it's on my iPhone <laughs> or it's an iPhone or iCloud or whatever, right? It's kind of frustrating. And now I don't have that problem. I pull up my Pixel device, I unlock it, I go into NT and I'm like, oh yeah, that's when that photo was taken. Uh, you know, and I can actually export it out. I can share it. I can send it over signal, uh, whatever I want to do with it. It's, it's really cool. And so I just wanted to share it because I mentioned NT before and I was talking about how I was kind of playing around with it, trying it out, uh, but I hadn't really kind of gone all in on it. And so in the last couple of weeks I did and boy, am I glad I did that because it is, it's been really pleasant. It's been a great experience and I recommend it. I have no affiliation with them. I'm paying for the service like everybody else. Uh, and if I have any problems, I'll let you know, but so far so good. And it's kind of made, you know, one thing that was really difficult, like one more thing to move away from, from the iPhone completely. So yeah, so we've kind of covered some note taking. I didn't know I didn't go too deep into it. I'm trying to stick with apps that I've used that I like that are platform agnostic and fairly inexpensive. When I say fairly inexpensive, like I think for standard notes, I pay somewhere around like 30 bucks a year. Um, I think it was like two ninety five a month or two bucks a month or something. Uh, Bitwarden is also incredibly cheap. I just renewed for ten dollars a year. Uh, awesome. I mean, so you could kind of have like a lot of your stuff, your cut, your base is covered uh, for under a hundred dollars a year. And if you're paying for the product, you're not the product. So support these products. Support them because they're awesome. I love what these guys are doing. Uh, moving along, so. Okay, I'm going to touch on the fitness stuff. Now, this is going to be kind of an ongoing experimenting with <laughs> with this because this is another area that I've always kind of struggled with a little bit. Um, 
having come from the Apple ecosystem, I had Apple watches and I, I'm a runner. I like to run. I like to mountain bike. I'm a pretty active person. And so tracking those workouts, those runs, those rides, um, was, has always been really important to me because I like to improve. I like to improve over time and I like to be able to see those metrics, whether it's, you know, pace and distance, uh, calories burn, elevation changes, things of that nature. I, I, I'm a, I'm a junkie when it comes to the metrics. So, and looking for an alternative to an Apple watch, because Apple watches only work with iPhones and they're only going to, they're all tied in. And now I just look at Apple watches as like cattle tags. It kind of like irritates me that I was that dependent on it for all that kind of stuff. But I, you know, we're, we're dependent on technology. So I don't want anybody to feel bad. This is more of like me personal thing. Uh, so there are some, actually there are some open source projects out there for, for wearables. Uh, I haven't personally tried them and I'm going to try to maybe get my hands on one, uh, sometime here in the next couple of months. They're not that expensive. But in my research for open source fitness apps for Android, um, gosh, it's abysmal. Like, it's really bad. I, I have just been... most first, first part is it's not necessarily their fault because most of these apps are designed to run on the phone. So the idea is, is that you're relying on your phone's accelerometer and other sensors to kind of like give feedback. Some of these apps are compatible with like a chest monitor, like a heart rate monitor. Um, But most of them just rely on the phone itself to give information. Uh, And, you know, it's kind of like a very fancy uh, step counter, like a pedometer. And they just kind of, they just kind of honestly suck. So I've done some research and some apps that I'm going to be trying. Uh, one of them is called runner up, uh, which is a, a basically a GPS tracker for runners. Uh, so it'll track pace and distance and time. And it has some detailed statistics as well. Um, but it's kind of, you know, it, it's pretty basic. Um, it is on the Android store. So it's something to, to look at. Uh, the other one I was looking at was called open tracks. Uh, T-R-A-C-K-S, and it's basically a sports tracker, uh, and it kind of, you know, these are apps that are, you know, focused on respecting your privacy, number one. Uh, so they're open source. These are kind of like different checkboxes, right? And they have, like, voice announcements. It has it, this particular one, Open Tracks, um, supports Bluetooth sensors for your heart rate monitor um, and so- certain cycling tools as well. Uh, so if you have, like, Cadence Tracker of some kind or, or, or something, um, it has like a barometric sensor, uh, for altitude gains and losses. The yeah, one cool thing is, um, that particular app, you can export the data out to a KMZ, KML, or GPX file, uh, which is cool. So if you are using some sort of web service where you want to upload those, um, those, ex- those workouts into, you can, uh, GPX is also useful for things like navigation apps and, and, and whatnot. Um, but, you know, and it, and it comes, you know, there's no ads, so no one's, like, snooping in this data and trying to sell you a pair of sneakers and, and that kind of thing. Um, and there's a few others, like AAT, which is another activity tracker is what it's called. Um, and it has, like, a live tracking view. And it shows, like, distance and average and speed and, you know, your total pace time and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, uh, FIDO track, FIDO track, F-I-T-O track, uh, is another one I plan to try. 
And there's a couple others uh, that also have um, more workout-based stuff in it. So like whether you're doing like leg day or, or back or chest and arms, uh, whether it's like jumping jacks or if you want to do like have like a circuit trainer app, those are helpful. But the problem is I'm not getting things like – it's again, these are just apps designed to run on a phone. I can't expect much from that. I depend on wearables. So – I ditched my Apple Watch a couple years ago for a Garmin Instinct Tactical, uh, which was I think around like three hundred bucks uh, or so, somewhere two ninety nine, three 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 hundred and change somewhere in there. So about on price with like a, a basic entry whatever Apple Watch is, and it did really well. I used it for a couple years. It does sleep tracking, and it it did um, everything that I needed it to do. I'm not. Uh, promoting Garmin, by the way. But I have read, I read their privacy policy. I come back and read it about every six months or so. And so far, everything in there I'm, I'm, I can live with, considering the fact that I'm wearing something that's tracking my uh, workouts and my runs. And so I decided to kind of stay in the Garmin pool for now. Uh, recently, in the last six months or so, I purchased the Garmin Epix Gen 2, which is kind of more like on par if you know Garmin products. It's kind of like a uh, like a Phoenix 6 or Phoenix 7 type of watch. And the reason why I went with that is because I liked the AMOLED display. I wanted it to be bright, and it had some other features that the Instinct Tactical didn't have, uh, mainly due with like the pulse oxim- pulse oxim- Pulse ox, I cannot say that word. Pulse, pulse oximeter. <laughs> I cannot, you know, it reads your, it reads your, your blood oxygen, right? And uh, my VO2 max and uh, some other things that I won't bore you with. But to me, it's still my main way of tracking that stuff. Uh, the Garmin Connect app runs perfectly well on a Graphene OS Pixel phone. I have my mom doing the same thing. She relies on her workout data uh, to work with her healthcare provider's app to get discounts on her healthcare, and that's really important to her. So, though some people might say, "Like, well, that sounds like you know potentially a privacy issue," well, it could be. But if it's also saving someone money and they really rely on that process, then you know, I don't want people to become complete zealots about, oh, my privacy. Well, eventually you just kind of put yourself in a little box and you never go outside. So I'm always like looking for a balance between things that work for me, but also being in control. You can sign up for a Garmin Connect app using all fake data. You can use a simple login email. They have no idea who the heck you are. You're never giving them any kind of credit card information or address or anything. Uh, so I'm fairly comfortable with that versus an Apple Watch, which was paired with an iPhone, which is connected to an iCloud account, which is connected to billing information, credit card information. They know exactly who you are. It's not perfect, but it's way better, in my opinion. The next level up might be just to use some sort of chest strap. If you don't want to use like a watch, like a Garmin or something like that, use a chest strap and, and try one of these apps. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I have a chest uh, sensor. I don't know if it's compatible with this particular Open Tracks app, but I'm going to try and get that working because I'd like to see if it does work. And if it does, hey, I'd have a recommendation for people uh, to have good, accurate tracking workout tracking info without relying on a commercial product, uh, which may or may not respect your privacy as much, uh, like, like Garmin, like the Garmin product specifically. So, wow, that felt like that was a mouthful. Um, so 
All to say is I'm still always exploring all of these different apps and services. I'm so for me, I'm never like done. It's the journey is kind of like evolves and I try different things and I want you to also maybe look at it that way. Now, maybe you're somebody who's like, no, I found the right thing. It works for me. I love it. I'm not going to do anything else. Perfect. I'm jealous because I keep, I'm like I said, I'm a tinkerer. I like trying different things. So I'm always <laughs> looking at what else is new coming out and what can I try. But having said that too, I also understand that there's uh, a lot of stress and anxiety that comes without having like a, a proper workflow. And that is something that is that I'm trying to work on. And so I think what I'm going to do, I've been kicking this idea around for a little while and it's something that will change over time. But what I think I'm not doing is writing like uh, maybe like an ebook. I don't know. Those things are kind of cheesy to me. I, I always feel like I'm being pitched like some sort of get rich quick scheme when someone says download my ebook. Uh, but I mean, you know, some kind of a PDF or something that people can just download for free that might be covering like a series of topics focused on privacy and some security, you know, for like say two factor authentication and stuff like that for a security section about like maybe instead of having like all these options and to try all these things and say, these are the things I've tried. And in my opinion, these are the best. Now they, they might, they, they you know, I'm going to be a little biased because it's the best for me. But if someone wanted like a playbook where it's like, cool, I buy a pixel. I install graphene. I create a new other profile. I install my apps over here. Uh, I I am in the fitness and running, so maybe a Garmin's fine. You know, uh, I am. I do have a lot of photos, so maybe NT.io or a self-hosted solution would be good uh, for contacts. Uh, maybe Nextcloud is good. Maybe there's another alternative for those that don't have their own server. The servers are something that eventually I think it'd be fun and cool to help people set those up. But that's also a big responsibility and requires maintenance and some technical know-how for people to run in that themselves. Though if we ever get raspberry Pis back in stock, um, I think that it would be more better advised to have people run some sort of like web based, uh, you know, host on like a, on like a raspberry Pi for their next cloud server, something that would be fairly easy and you could just plug in an external drive and that would be your data storage. You just want to make sure that you're also backing things up somewhere, probably off-site, uh, or you're, you know, backing up to someone else's next cloud server, uh, a trusted, you know, partner, uh, family member, something like that. Um, in any case, it's a lot of work, but this is something that I think would be kind of, kind of cool, and it could be like a on. Maybe I update it every three or six months. With the, if anything's changed, I can just do some revisions. I, I don't exactly know how it'll look or what it would. You know, I have an idea in my head, uh, but sometimes getting things out of my head onto like papers, so to speak, uh, is a bit of a process for me because it just I I I fumble through the creative process in a lot of ways. So uh, it might look more utilitarian. <laughs> functional but not beautiful how about how about that i can i can deliver on that so anyways um that is something in the works and if you have any particular categories or topics specifically um i'm going to be reaching out to the community so provide that information to me send it to me in an email send it to me in, in twitter uh, uh it's really the only social platform that i utilize is twitter uh, otherwise i'm just in matrix or you can just email 
email me, Simon at closednetwork.io, or just go to closednetwork.io, hit the contact um, page, send me a message, tell me how how uh, beautiful my voice is, and all of that stuff. You know, I'll, I'll take any of it uh, at this point. But um, in all seriousness, I I really think that uh, we're getting closer and closer to having some alternatives for those who feel like they're stuck in a stock Android experience, like the Google Android experience or an Apple iOS experience. And I, I know because I'm one of those people I've been working on this for the last few years, trying to migrate away. I may never completely be away. And I also don't want anyone to feel like, Oh my gosh, I I don't want to, I don't want to leave my, yeah, don't, don't do anything you're not comfortable with. I just like to take things, extreme as I can. What I, what I, what I end up doing oftentimes is I take it super extreme and then I kind of walk it back to a more realistic, like acceptable baseline for myself. Everyone has a different line for that. I don't know where yours is, but I'm, you know, I'm always trying to push as as far as I can, uh, oftentimes breaking things. And then I realize like, okay, this is, this is kind of like a comfort, a good comfort zone or a good compromise, uh, with, with, like a particular uh, solution, whether it's note taking, whether it's photo editing and managing that, uh, whether it's contacts, managing your contacts, uh, what what other apps you're using, um, and you know. Anyways, I could ramble on, uh, but I probably shouldn't because we're we're just coming up on an hour. I'm trying to keep this under an hour unless I'm doing uh, interviews and 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 conversation based podcasts. Those tend to go sometimes two or three hours. Uh, but I, I really uh, think an hour is like a good kind of sweet spot. So thank you for listening. Thank you for providing feedback. We, by the way, I, you know, I don't really talk about metrics uh, on here, like analytics, because I don't really know how, I don't know how true they are. I don't know how much stock to put into it. My feeds are managed through anchor.fm, which is owned by Spotify. So I do get Spotify stats, but I don't necessarily get stats um, off of feeds because a lot of people might be listening through a podcast 2.0 app or, or uh, antenna pod or something like that. Um, but they're estimating, you know, from, from, from uh, anchors perspective based upon like Spotify listeners and things like that. Um, 17,000 subscribers, which sounds like awesome. I don't really know if that's good. I don't know if it's great. Um, but, you know, I just want to say all to say is, uh, this podcast has really grown into something that I didn't really have any expectation for. Oh, 18,142 is what it says the audience size is. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means there's like 18,000 of y'all listening to me. Um, and if so, that is like absolutely mind blowing. Uh, because, uh, I, I just really didn't know how big of a, of an interest pool there was for this, but I'm just, totally floored by that so uh i don't know i'm pretty transparent so i I just thought if anyone was curious uh that that's a cool milestone maybe we'll have a big party at maybe maybe twenty thousand audience size at our 20th episode maybe i don't know i mean that's kind of cool just have some goals to shoot for (laughs) um in any case thanks for listening thanks for participating and i really enjoy the interactions with everyone in the matrix chat um this is this is a podcast and I'm just a host and I'm not any kind of like certified professional, like infosec person, but I've put a lot of time and, and experiment, uh, you know, cycles into a lot of these things. 
I am learning just like everyone else. I may just be ahead of a lot of people, but when I started this journey, I mean, I'm a, I have a technical background, so it's probably a little bit easier for me to pick up than people who are not. But uh, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not an expert. I'm just fanatical and kind of crazy sometimes. So um, I, I'm just blown away that there's been this much support and you know messages and emails from people. Uh, please, you know, I, I welcome all that kind of stuff. I mean, I know I ask for support as well. It's my dream to one day do this like part-time, full-time kind of a thing. Um, but I'll just keep grinding until, uh, until we get there or you just stop listening. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate everyone's, uh, input and feedback. And if there's anything that you'd like to see or hear about, let me know and I will add it to my, my long list of wish list things that Simon is working on. <laughs> uh, so until the next episode, which will be episode 20, I will catch you in the chat. Take care, everybody. I bet when I land, they gon' tell me it's luck again. See that I'm winning, it's harder to watch. I'm setting the stage, you should give me my prize. You ain't got a soul, you lacking the spirit. You talk out your neck, I'm gonna show you I'm with it. I've been really happy for you to sit and watch me win again and win again and win again. I know